Good morning. Last time I was here, I was a nervous wreck because it was kind of unknown part of the interview process. And so it's a lot more fun to be here and to know a lot more names, to know a lot more faces, um, to see smiles. Um, it's, that's really great. But it's also happy Valentine's Day. I am not not wearing red for a purpose. I just looked in the closet and have zero red. Literally, I have zero red in my closet. But my daughter, if y'all, some of y'all met her on Sunday just on stage, she loves pink and she loves red. And she gave me, I told her I'd carry it with me today, a red heart. So I have my red heart up here. She knew it was a sticker. I had no idea. She kept telling me it was a sticker. I said, no, it's not. It's a piece of cardboard. And uh, she proved me wrong. Um, but this week we have been studying um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 on a legacy of equipping. And um, driving home last week from heart to heart, it really hit me. I was enjoying the study, um, but it hit me in a different way. And I shared with Cricket and Carolyn, I said, I had an epiphany, and that's that these verses really are a how-to guide for the Great Commission or making disciples. And when I reframed it in that way, it changed my approach to this passage, and it really became a lot more fun and a bit more caution in some ways about how am I taking the scripture and how am I applying them to our lives. And so um, let me make sure this remote is working. A how-to guide on making disciples. Um, but before we really get started into this passage, I do want to review where we've been in 2 Timothy. And so this is kind of what we've heard in our verses so far. Expect persecution and suffering. Beware teachers who are opposed to the truth. Demonstrate the traits and character of a servant of God. And remember the who and the why of why we live and believe and endure as we do. These are important messages that we keep hearing over and over in the book of 2 Timothy. And Paul's been very clear about his life and how he approaches suffering and those who don't align with his Christ-centered living or what we've been commanded to, to, to live out in our lives. And there really are, as we've walked through this book, I hope you've seen the parallels. We've been pretty clear in every lecture about the parallels that we have to our life today. And that makes sense. We should see those parallels in a living document like the Bible. Um, but there's also been two consistent expectations that Paul has left with Timothy. The first is to remain steadfast. Now, cricket is going to cover this in a lot more detail in a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to dive into this um, kind of wholeheartedly, but I do want to just take a minute to really for us to think about what does it mean to be steadfast? And so for me, I envision a person who stands up tall, shoulders back. It's a faith that's more than emotion. It's a faith that's more than knowledge. It's courageous. Um, it's confident, and it's unwavering. And there were two people that came to mind when I thought about who are people that demonstrate this courageous, this steadfast, steadfast faith. And the first one I'm sure many of you will know and recognize is Corey Ten Boom. And there's not much that we can say that, that we haven't read about already in her life. Um, if you haven't read The Hiding Place, read The Hiding Place and her follow-up book on that. But her courage in the face of really just horrors in World War II are definite demonstration of steadfastness. Now, my second demonstrate or my second character that I want to show you is truly a character. It's a literary character. Don't take it any further from any spiritual connections. Um, but it's Katniss Everdeen. If you know um, the Hunger Games, she um, she volunteered in her sister's place to fight a battle and then became a symbol of hope and courage. And so when I think of steadfast, it's really the combination of both of these people. It's the, the image of someone just strong in the strength of Katniss, but the kindness and the, just the faith of Corey Ten Boom. 
And this really funnels into the second expectation that Paul had for Timothy, and that is of leaving a legacy. Um, and this, I mean, hopefully this has been clear. This is a significant part. This word is our, stu- is our study of leaving a legacy of eternal significance. Um, but I want us to read the passage um, as we enter into kind of our, our lecture today. You, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, in Iconium, and in Lystra. I endured all these persecutions, I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. Now, in fact, all who want to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil people and charlatans will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. You, however, must continue in the things you have learned and are confident about. You know who taught you and how from infancy you have known the holy writings which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. And so we have a quick summary of this passage that I'm going to show on screen. These are kind of handwritten notes, how I might mark my Bible. That's not necessarily our outline for today, but they just help. You can kind of see how I think and how I process through this passage. First, Paul names the differences between Timothy and the men and women in the passage he had just described that we studied last week. Um, Timothy has been a faithful disciple of Paul. This means that he has lived with, He's learned, and he's modeled what Paul has taught instead of what the others were doing. So first, Paul Paul named the differences between Timothy. Second, he urges, and you could even say he commands Timothy to continue with what he learned while traveling with Paul. That Timothy should honor Paul, but he should also honor his mother and his grandmother. As we enter the last few weeks of this study, you're going to start seeing all the dots start and connect from the beginning to the end of this book. And third, Paul emphasizes the holiness and the inspiration of scripture and the vital work that it has in the life of a believer. And so today we're really gonna talk about numbers two and three. Um, This is really what I'm wrapping into our discussion on leaving a legacy of equipping. Now, Paul has been teaching from his personal experience, not only about courage, but about how, the Holy, about how the Holy Scriptures have influenced his life and teaching. We know he was Jewish. We know he was raised with an understanding um, of the Old Testament. But he's also now followed Christ. And he's, I mean, little did he know, writing Scripture that, that we would be reading and learning from later. But we've summarized Paul's life in this word, legacy. Now, when I think of legacy... Y'all do not know this man, but this is my grandfather, and this is the man that comes to mind. These are actually my brother's and my favorite pictures of my granddad. When he passed away, these were the different photos that we chose. And I say that you can tell the differences between each of our personalities and the photos that we chose. Um, I chose the first one um, because I love seeing granddad when he was young. I think that's important for us to just remember that. Um, My little brother, Jared, he's a goofball. He chose the second one. And my twin brother, he's artistic. And I was like, of course, Jason saw, you know, pick the one, the, the pro, you know, whatever we call that, that last photo. It, it's creative. Um, but granddad drove a forklift at DuPont for 40 years. 
He was married to my grandmother, I don't even know how many years, decades, over 50, almost 60 years. He was quiet, he was strong, he was a man of very few words. And he was a little intimidating to me when I was growing up, um, but I knew that he loved us fiercely. Um, I was always enamored by his garage in, our, in their backyard because it was just a mystery and it was kind of scary because it had all the tools that I knew nothing about, but he had a riding lawnmower. We did not have a riding lawnmower, so I would see him drive his riding lawnmower up the little ramp and I just thought it was the coolest thing. But his legacy is that um, he was, well, he was a deacon at their church as well. And I think you may, if you remember, I talked about how he traveled with grandma. She had a puppet ministry and he traveled with her as she used that just within the church and serving other churches and countries as well. And so his legacy for us is that he worked hard. He studied scripture every week. I remember seeing him sitting at the dining room table, studying scripture with uh, my grandmother, but he cared well for his family. When, mom, when my father left my mom, um, she thought she could do things on her own for a little while. And she came to a point where she was like, I need help. And granddad met mom halfway. J my brother Jason drove her. Granddad met her, took him back to her home, adapted their house so she could have some privacy and heal. And just made a space for her and loved her at 50 years old. And he was 70-something years old at that point. And so that's the legacy when I think about someone in my life who's left a legacy. Um, and so there are two purposes for our time today. Um, I, we've talked about legacy, but we're going to talk about legacy in terms of equipping. And we, we will also explore the practice of equipping. Um, we'll talk about both of these numbers later, but I want to jump on in into what does it mean to equip? And I think this is where I kind of became stuck a little bit at first when I thought about how do we approach a legacy of equipping. Um, but to equip means to cause or to make happen. To transfer or to give, to prepare. How have you been equipped by someone that you know? Kind of in the same vein of family, the first thing that comes to mind with equipping was my grandmother wife of my granddad, Eugene, um, Sarah, she taught me how to iron and it was on a handkerchief and, you know, at summers at her home. She taught me how to sew. I don't remember a thing, but I do know that we made my senior prom dress um, and it was not regrettable. It was very beautiful. I still think it's beautiful. Um, and I also think about my mom. Um, you've heard a little bit of her story, but she left a legacy of risk or she leaves a le legacy of risk, of hard work, of faith, unconditional love for her children. Um, of strength and risk. And so our legacy of equipping in terms of our faith means that we are transferring knowledge and experience and wisdom so that we are giving another person the tools they need to grow in holiness and persevere in faith. That's a long definition, but it is a loaded definition intentionally. So a legacy of equipping means that we are transferring knowledge and experience and wisdom, our lives, so that we are giving another person the tools they need to grow in holiness and persevere in their faith. Paul has demonstrated this very clearly to Timothy. And so as believers in Christ, we're sharing our lives, we're sharing scripture, we're sharing our experiences with someone else, whether that's our children, our spouse, other family members, coworkers, neighbors, so that they then have every tool they need not to only be drawn to Christ, but to stand steadfast. So now that we have, this is a quick point. Number one, define equip. We're moving on to number two. 
So now we're, we will spend really the majority of our time on the practice of equipping. Um, what, basically, what, what does this mean? And so I want us to remember that Paul is, has, is sending this letter to Timothy just shortly um, before we know now that he was to die. He's reminding him that he has been equipped. He is equipped. Um, and this is an important detail really about the timing of this. Um, it's commonly believed that Timothy started working with Paul shortly after his conversion in Lystra. Um, and it's also where, if you remember from our passage this week, that Paul experienced persecution as well. So shortly after Timothy became a believer, or shortly before, somewhere in there, he saw Paul being persecuted. So these are very real memories and experiences that Timothy has. And so when Paul names these places, it stirs very real memories in Timothy. In the same way, when you've been on a vacation and someone says, hey, I'm going somewhere, you're like, hey, I know the best place to eat. I know the best place to, or, or what not to do. And in the same way, Paul mentions these cities, and Timothy is immediately stirred to remember some of these events of their past. Now, to, do, to leave a legacy, we must do or carry out the actual act of equipping. This is important. Like, we can know all about equipping, but we're not doing a thing if we actually don't carry out or do some things to make that legacy happen. This is really where we get into that, the subtitle of making disciples. Equipping is making disciples. We're equipping them with our knowledge, our experience, and wisdom so that they have the tools, again, not only to be drawn to Christ, but to stand steadfast. And so how do we leave a legacy of equipping? There's three things that we're going to talk about today. I'm not going to show them on screen in one fell sweep right now, but it's power, purpose, and tools. So how do we leave a legacy of equipping power, purpose, and tools? So first, we have power. We are equipped. And we see this very clearly in uh, these two verses, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are equipped, and we are equipped through the Holy Spirit. We are also equipped through Scripture and through the lives of other believers in Christ. Now, these two points, these last two points, I'm actually going to talk about them later because our power is also we have some of these same tools or same resources in our tools. Basically, there is a mighty circle that's happening, and it's the legacy that happens when we are equipping and being equipped. And so our power for equipping is that we are equipped. We are equipped by the Holy Spirit, and we are equipped by Scripture and the lives and the legacy of other believers. Number two, not only do we have power, we have purpose. We will equip. Let me go back. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Scripture is pretty to the point on this one. So I'm not going to belabor this point. I really do just want to make sure that we know that not only do we have power for equipping, do we have purpose for equipping, that that it's also a command that we will equip others. So our resources, again, for leaving a legacy, 
One, we have power, we are equipped. Two, we have purpose, we will equip. And number three, our tools. We have what we need to equip. And that is our lives or our testimony and scripture. And so this is why, um, again, this section, our tools, is why we kind of moved into this, like, how do we make disciples? And it's through this equipping that we have. I want to go back to scripture when we look at our lives. Paul tells Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, as well as the persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch in Iconium, and in Lystra. I endured these persecutions, and the Lord delivered me from them all. And so again, Timothy has seen Paul persecuted from the beginning of their relationship, and he has seen him delivered from those situations. Um, If you were in my Colorful Day seminar, we talked about steles, which are monuments. Uh, Monuments really of remembrance, to to remind us of times when God has been near to us or delivered us. And I really think that's what Paul is also doing in this passage, of of telling Timothy, remember these times, remember these places. And so he tells him um, really nine things. I put them into buckets of three. And so you'll see the outward life listed here. Um, Again, this is just some sub sub points um, underneath, just kind of to the side of our outline. Um, but Paul buckets his testimony, his life, in these three buckets. The first one is his outward life. And he, he notes, my teaching and my way of life. These really are the most visible signs that differentiate Paul from the people that he had mentioned in the previous passage. Timothy had lived with him, and he knew, knows when he hears these two words, his, his teaching and his way of life, that there has been no hypocrisy as well. I think that's significant. And so my question for you is, does your speech and conduct look different than those around you who are opposed to the truth? Does your speech and conduct look different than those around you who are opposed to the truth? Now, the second bucket that we can kind of put what Paul is telling us today is his inward life, his purpose, his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance. I hear the fruits of the Spirit in this, but it's also a mim- he's also mimicking what he instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. Compete well for the faith. And so for the inward life, what drives you internally? Do they mimic Paul's purpose, his faith, his love, his patience, his endurance? The thing is, only we know what truly is driving us. We know other people may think they know what drives us, but only we truly know what is inside our hearts. And so you'll quickly identify with those that mimic Paul's and those that don't. And so third... Paul references the outcome of these behaviors, of his external and internal life, his persecutions and suffering. Now, my question on this one is, do you allow your external and internal traits 
to expose you to suffering, not even to experience <laughs> suffering, but do you allow your internal and external traits to just expose you to suffering or even the potential of just being an outsider? And I really, I don't want to say forget the actual act of suffering because we know that suffering exists. We know that persecution exists. But sometimes we talked about this in our leaders meeting this morning. We're even hesitant to expose ourselves to that possibility. We want to protect ourselves so much. And so are we allowing ourselves to be exposed to suffering? It really is easy to read this list in, third, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and really put it in the box of Timothy and Paul and really not integrate it into our lives or consider how we should apply these characteristics into our own lives. And so I do wanna take a few minutes to ask a couple more um, application questions about this specific tool of equipping, for leaving a legacy of equipping, which is our life. And so our first application question beyond the questions I just asked you is, whose life is shaping yours? What directs your values and what you long for? I, I mean, are, we know the Sunday school answer. I hope your answer is Jesus. But in the everyday, whose voice is the loudest, though? Is it a news show or a pundit? Is it a social media influencer? Is it the latest beach read or a Christian author? Is it a mentor or a discipler? Like-minded friends and family or unlike-minded friends or family? But we need to take some time and really be honest about whose life is shaping ours. Consider where their lives demonstrate a purpose, a faith, a patience, love, and endurance that mimics not only Paul's life, but Christ's life. Do they lead you into those same things, or do they lead you into worry or fear? We know that, the, I mean, we know, we just read the passages, the Holy Spirit equips us. But Paul is also telling us and reminding us that we're being equipped by the people that we spend time with. And we're being equipped by their lives or someone less honorable if it's not a Paul. And second, who are you equipping with a spiritual legacy? Is it your niece and nephew, your children, grandchildren, coworkers, anyone else? Because remember, legacies, they do re require movement. I talked about my legacy from my grandfather, but his legacy truly isn't a legacy if it stops with me. And so who are we investing in? Who is, in, who is receiving the legacy that we have? And what will they be inheriting? What do you want your legacy to be? And I really, I really do want us to wrestle with this question. When we see Paul's inward life, are we sharing those same traits with those who are inheriting our legacy? Or is it something less good? What do they mimic when they see us? Is it our language, our hobbies, our phone addictions, um, gossip? I mean, I know for myself, I find like most days I'm just doing. It's just getting to the next thing to do. And so it's, whether it's because of time, exhaustion, family obligations, work obligations, or even just an awareness of time just running by, that it's important to really to take stock and to, to step back every now and then and think about how am I investing? How is my life? What are the choices I'm making in my day investing in my legacy that I'm leaving to others? And also to consider too, what are your strengths? We've talked about shape before for years. 
And so how has God gifted you spiritually and how can you use that to intentionally leave a legacy, both in your homes, in your circles, your neighborhoods, and with the children and generations before and behind us at church? And so our first tool for leaving a legacy of equipping is our life. Our second tool is scripture. There are um, some just observations I wanted to point out. Um, these aren't necessarily for, you don't have to write these down, but just kind of how, so for you to see how I went through this passage. And so just some textual clues um, that I wanted to point out. Um, must. Paul tells Timothy, you must continue in the things. Y'all, this is a command. There's no, cho- there's no choice. You must continue in the things. This is our indication to be steadfast again. Again, we're seeing the circle, steadfast, learned. Uh, For me, when I saw this, like, okay, okay, this is another active word, but this is my responsibility to to learn and to study. Confidence feels straightforward. You know who taught you. This speaks directly about Paul. Paul is talking about himself in this phrase. But then from infancy, this appeals to the legacy of his mom and his grandmother. There's an emotional connection with this one. He's had a lifetime of learning. And then the holy writings, this is our clue for our second tool, scripture. And so, but what do we see about scripture? What does he say here? And his first note is that it's holy. The sacred letter, sacred letters is the literal translation of holy. And so what I also f- found, again, it's act. So this active word, give, and it just, it meant a lot to me to see that scripture is active. It's giving us wisdom and it's giving us salvation. And as we know, salvation through faith in Christ. And those are all important kind of notes and observations to make and the things that he's modifying and describing and things like that. Um, Warren Wearsby, and there's some, a couple of quotes from him in the study this week, and I hope you read them because he's a wise, wise man. Um, and he has another quote, and he said, we are not saved by believing the Bible, but by trusting the Christ who is revealed in the Bible. And we know that by studying the Bible. And so an important note that I want to make is that salvation through Christ must exist before Scripture can equip a person. I think that's a message for us too, though, because we often appeal to Scripture to correct non-believers, and things are out of order when we try to do that. But as a believer, how is, this, how is Scripture a tool for equipping? It's, um, first, it's inspired by God. That's clearly stated in the passage. Now, another translation will tell you that it's God-breathed. And I love that description because um, now the Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek, God-breathed, two different words used. But in Genesis chapter 1, we see that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, hovered over the surface of the earth. Some translations say the breath of God. And I think that's beautiful because when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament, we see that God's breath, his word created the world. And so at the same time, the Holy Scriptures are God's word to us that have the power. Go back to that first, that first resource that we had. God's word is the power for us today to create, to save, and to protect. And so not only is scripture inspired by God, but it's useful for teaching, 
for reproof, for correction, and for training. So just some quick definitions on these. Teaching, really teaching, this refers to providing doctrine, giving what is right. It equips us. And similar to what we talked about before in the definition of equip, it's transferring knowledge to us. Scripture is also useful for rebuking or reproving. This means it's challenging our behavior. It shows us when something's wrong. But it corrects us too. It shows us what's right. And it trains us in righteousness. Originally, this was intended, this word was intended to mean for young children. But I like in this format and how Paul wrote this, there's a logical progression. So teaching not just tells us something is wrong, but it points us in the right direction. And it equips us, intentional, to not only do what God requires to grow in holiness, but to live and work on this earth in a way that brings glory and honor to him. It's disciple making. And so our application questions for scripture is, do you let scripture shape or reshape your life? And how do you use scripture to guide your influence on others? And again, I think these questions, it's very easy to answer them flippantly. It's another thing to really sit and ponder the influence that scripture has in our lives and the choices that we make in relationships and our own actions as well. And so as we pursue truth, we will separate ourselves from what is false, like Timothy was described in the first verse, verse 10, and we will influence generations, as his grandmother and mother did, to love God and love one another. As we pursue truth, we will separate ourselves from what is false and influence generations to love God and love one another. We can make it a day We may try to make it a day or two or longer without reading scripture, um, but we need scripture to be fully equipped. And I think this was the biggest challenge, not challenge, but um, accountability for me, is that we may think that we're equipped because we're a believer and we've studied in the past or we studied last semester or we studied two weeks ago, but to be fully and completely equipped, we need scripture now. And so as we close to get today, I want to review our definition of equip. Equip means that we are leaving a legacy of equipping. Wait, let me start over. A legacy of equipping means that we are transferring knowledge, experience, and wisdom to another person so that they have the tools they need to grow in holiness and persevere in their faith. I hope you're starting to see how Paul is wrapping up the life and experiences that he has shared with Timothy. And then two, we explored the practice of equipping, that we have power We have purpose. We have tools, specifically the tools of our life and of Scripture. And so our final summary statement is that we are equipped, we will equip through our life and through Scripture as we develop and create and maintain a legacy of equipping. We are equipped and we will equip others through our life and through Scripture. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you today humbled to know that you have given us the same power that you speak about in Scripture, Lord, to live a life focused on you, Lord, that you draw us to yourself, but that you also stay close to us and maintain 
just proximity, Lord, that when we cry out, when we speak about persecutions and suffering, Lord, that we know you are close and that your son, Jesus Christ, has modeled what it means to stay in close relationship to you, to trust you, to have faith in your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we pray for those things for ourselves, for our brothers and sisters around the world who are experiencing suffering in ways that we don't know and we haven't experienced. And Lord, we pray that as you sustain them, that you would do the same for us today as we go about um, our, our days, that you would be with us and that you would teach us how to create a legacy of equipping so that those behind us are disciples of you, not disciples of us, but disciples of you that they will remain steadfast and firm in their faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.